everyone. How are you? I'm all wired up here. Hope I don't say anything inappropriate in the recording. Um, my name is Dr. Jennifer Alkihai. Um, if the name's a little difficult, you just think of an alcoholic high school. Alki, hi. So, um, I, uh, <coughs> it's an indigenous Guatemalan name. I look obviously indigenous Guatemalan, no. Uh, my wife, I got that um, from her. And uh, her nickname for me is Entitled White Girl, which fits very well. Um, anyway, <coughs> so welcome. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is an hour. Uh, there's a boatload of stuff we can do. I probably brought a, a day's worth of notes, but we'll uh, try and keep it to an hour. And I want to be a little bit interactive. Um, I did make this accessible, the PowerPoint, as well as a whole bunch of resources because we won't have time to go through them all. Um, just, it is case sensitive, the link, so please make sure that you um, get the capital H and all that good stuff. Otherwise, uh, somebody told me it'll take you to Amazon. Which, if you want to go shopping, that's fine. Okay, uh, so, can everybody hear me okay? Am I too loud? Not loud enough? All right. Okay. Um, so, <coughs> I am a clinical psychologist. I have been um, married for almost 19 years. I have a uh, wife, obviously. Um, I have a stepdaughter who's 23, and I have two sons that are... 12 and 13, and a granddaughter who is a three-nager. Um, <laughs> she is a three-nager, let me tell you. Um, she, laid, she laid down the other day, and she's, uh, she came and visited with us, and she said, hang on a second, I, know, I always get the quote wrong, so I want to get it right. Um, she, she was all happy, and then all of a sudden she laid down, and she said, oh, what did she say? This is not my day. And I was like, where's that coming from? It was like 9 in the morning, for God's sake. Anyway, obviously she'd heard that somewhere. Anyway. Um, okay, so welcome. We're going to talk a lot, a little bit about, as much as we can, about LGBTQI um, plus and full service partnerships. And I, when I put that up there, what do you need to know? I don't come at that saying as an expert. I'm actually genuinely interested. I um, know of full service partnerships and my day job is working as a clinical supervisor at a United American Indian involvement. Uh, we specialize in working with Native Americans in the county. Um, so I've referred a lot to FSPs. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I am not an expert in the different types of care. So I guess I'm curious, who do we have in the room? Do we have psychologists in here anywhere? A couple of you, um, social workers, KMFTs, any peer specialists? Okay, how many of you work with adults? How many of you work with kids and transitional age youth? Okay, maybe 50% of you, okay. Um, so, uh, let's see, uh, let me ask you some questions, all right? So I'm going to ask some, uh, just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you don't want me to ask you some questions, you can say pass. But, uh, you know, the front, the people in the front, watch out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll get Mr. Director over here. Um, so uh, you came to this workshop. Um, do you identify as straight or gay yeah. or trans? Okay, gay. All right. Um, that's lovely. Welcome to the family. I think so. uh, yes, and <laughs> you're lucky and blessed, just like me. Um, I think 
<laughs> do you have a husband? Yeah, I do. You do. Awesome. See, there two, needs to be more of us. Two Maine Coon kitties. Two, uh, and what kind of kitties? Two Maine Coon What are those? They're, 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 known as, they're known as the gentle giant. Wow. They grow to be quite large. Wow. And they're, uh, they're the most dog-like cat. Who knew? I did not know. I did not know. I did not know. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. We call them the Gay Cat Brothers. The Gay Cat Brothers. That's great. That's great. Well, welcome. Thank you, Marston. Uh, how about you over here? Uh, would you consider yourself gay or straight? Or? I'm straight. You're straight. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, will, I will pray for you. Um, <laughs> so, so when did you decide to be straight? <laughs> when I was born. You, when you were born, you, you, you decided, when you were born, you decided to be straight? I don't, mm. Do you, are you buying this? Mm. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably a phase. <laughs> and what you really need is to sleep with us, uh, with another woman to really figure this out, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you another question. Um, how many of y'all brought your birth certificate so you go to the bathroom today? Wait, what? Didn't I? You didn't know that I'm going to screen for birth certificates to make sure you're the gender that's on your birth certificate when you go into the bathroom? And if, if I don't think it's accurate, then you don't get to go. Oh, okay. Yeah, in between, maybe, maybe. Or you get to determine which. I get to pick. There we go. Okay. Um, let's see. How about, um, let's see, let me come up here. Um, how are you? Um, are you married? Yes. You are? How long have you been with your wife? With my husband. Oh, with your husband? Yeah. Oh, man, again. <laughs> <sighs> Ah, two decades. Uh, so again, I'll pray for you. Are you sure it's not a face? Um, Man, not, not yet? Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hey. All right. It's okay, Jennifer. I know some straight people. They're, they're, they're okay. They're okay? <laughs> All right, you know, you know, 95, 95% of um, child molesters are cisgender males. Are you guys okay with like being in this room? You might want to wash your hands or something. There's a lot of you cis folks in here, you, and, and straight folks, okay? So what am I doing, right? What am I doing? Stereotypes, Stereotypes scripts, right? Um, you Actually, you're, some of the questions you're asking, particularly one around uh, when did you decide to be straight, these were actually questions that were used with gay and lesbian folk entering psychotherapy mm -hmm. or psychiatric services in seven, as recently as 1970s and Oof. before. Yikes. Okay. So absolutely. Um, so I'm giving you a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be an LGBT person yeah. and have people ask you questions. So um, I'll give you another, I'll send one more question. Um, uh, you know, you, you've been very, very courageous, so I'm going to grab you for this one, too. So, um, <laughs> so how's your sex life? How do you do the sex thing? How do I do the sex thing? <laughs> really well. Uh <laughs>
yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I never understood guys, though. You know, the gun. You know, it's just, you know. Anyway. Um, I know, right? I don't mind, but ooh, I got two boys though, and they're both hitting puberty, and it's a little scary at all. My wife and I are like, ooh, we're closer to penises than we ever wanted to be in our life. Anyway, okay. Um, moving right along. Thank you all um, for thank you for playing with me a little bit. Um, the, the other thing I generally do with the, um, with somebody I really start to ask about sexual questions is uh, you know helping you realize how uncomfortable that is, right? Um, and so you know, unfortunately, in the trans community, they get asked a lot, and it's none of our business, right? It's inappropriate here. It's inappropriate anywhere, right? Okay. So one of the things I wanted to just do briefly is talk about the complexity and diversity of LGBTQ people. Um, the reason we say LGBTQI+, because you were asking about, man, what do all these mean? Okay, I'll go over those real briefly. Um, <clears throat> this is a combination of sexual orientation and gender identity, okay? Sexual orientation people are the LGB and possibly the Q. Okay, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, meaning that they're attracted to, lesbians are generally attracted to women, gays generally attracted to men, attracted to men. Bisexual you mean, means you may be attracted to both. There's actually more letters. There are things like, and you all help me out if I mess one up. Um, there are things like you know, pansexual, there are people who are not romantically interested in any gender. Okay, asexual, um, or they just want a romantic relationship, they're not interested in sex. Um, there are people who, are, by pansexual, usually they mean they, they're just attracted to the person. They don't care what gender, you know, whether they're straight, cis, uh, and cisgender, by the way, means that you are the, um, the gender that you were assigned at birth, okay? So, for example, if they, put on your birth certificate that you're a boy, then your body matches that, especially in your mind. With trans folks, it's not always like that. And we'll talk a little bit about why, but <clears throat> um, that's a whole other training. So, um, and again, I'm trying to just see what we can squeeze in that meets your needs here. So, <clears throat> yes? Uh, no, okay, so, good question though. So there's a difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. Okay, heterosexual is means I'm attracted to somebody of the opposite sex. Cisgender means that my, my physiology and my brain match in terms of, of who I think I am gender-wise. Is there a better way to say that? Anybody got one? I know I am gender-wise. Yeah, so cisgender, cis means same, okay? So it's, it's the same as, you know, you don't have any dissonance or any discomfort with who uh, your parents told you you were, male or female, and who you feel on the inside. Often people who are transgender feel very different. They feel like, uh, they can feel like a, a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. That's about gender. Now, somebody who's trans can also be gay or straight or bi, okay? So that's a totally separate issue in terms of orientation. Who, sex orientation is who I'm attracted to. Who do I want to go to bed with? Um, gender is who do I wake up as? Or who do I go to bed as? Yeah, who am I? Okay, but I go to bed as somebody, 
right? But who do I want to go to bed with is more about orientation. So, and my apologies, I, I don't have uh, all kinds of handouts and stuff, but that's why I want to link to the resources here. So real quick, um, you know, we're a very complex group, right? So every ethnicity, okay, has lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, and trans people, okay? All of these are actual people who are lesbian, gay, bi, trans folks, okay? So we're, we're Middle East, right? Asia, right? Latino, African-American, Indian, Southeast Asian, everywhere, okay? Every religion, okay? Islam, there are gay people. Catholicism, there are gay people. Judaism, there are gay people. These are actual gay people. Hindu, Mormon, okay? Jehovah's Witness, Santeria, <laughs> okay? Um, and so there's a lot of diversity, right? And so as a quick question, what do all these religions usually have in common when they think about LGBT stuff? Yeah, they're, they're pretty much rejecting, okay? Lack of acceptance, okay? But you know, it's interesting, and this is just a side note, um, that LGBT folks who grow up in uh, religious communities, they often will try, be willing to um, give up their sexuality before they're willing to give up their faith. Because they realize they're, they're not in, so they try really hard, often, okay? But then they get to a point where like, I, I can't change. So I, what do I gotta do? I either gotta ditch my faith, or change me, and if, usually they try to change them, okay? <clears throat> so, and there are also a lot of religions and uh, spiritual affiliations see them as an aberration, to be killed, rejected, okay, suppressed, all right? Um, oh, the other thing is that uh, when do you think, especially for orientation, uh, sexual orientation in terms of sexual development, since a lot of you are clinicians, when do you think the um, the gender, I mean the identity formation and consolidation and or exploration happens, kind of what age range? Uh, not, not, not in I, hope, I hope they're not doing sexuality stuff at five. They might be playing, like, you know, exploring their own body, but hopefully not everybody else's. So maybe teenage years. What about transitional age youth? Okay, so a lot of folks get to college and they go, ooh, wow, sometimes it happens. I actually am somebody who went to three conservative Christian colleges as a lesbian. Um, that was fun. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other story. But um, you know, the idea being that that was very important to me. And I was willing to go even though I was wrestling with, am I gay or not? Clearly I am. Um, you know, every country, there's even in Antarctica, there's Gay and lesbians? Bet you didn't know two things. One, that there was a university on Antarctica, and second, that there's LGBT folks there. <laughs> um, disabilities, okay? Here's the bottom line. Why is there such diversity? It's because we're human. So wherever you have human beings, you are gonna have gay people, you're gonna have lesbians, you're gonna have LGBTQI+, okay? We are everywhere. Now, it's not safe for us to be everywhere because we can be killed and murdered, okay? Uh, but if you Google any country in the world, you'll find an article about LGBT folks there. 
Okay, we're different, not less. So what affects quality and quantity? And I gotta get ripping here. Um, we all know some of this. You've heard a lot of uh, trauma-informed care presentations, so I won't go over all of this. But one of the things I thought was interesting is the biggest uh, place to impact is social and economic factors, 40%, okay? And clinical care is 10%. Now I remember first seeing that and going, well, wait a second, I thought we were in clinical care, so that means we don't have much impact, right? Mm, well, we don't have much impact in terms of deciding who gets sick or injured or develops mental health issues because these top three things impact that the most, right? Okay, and we know um, some of the real key things that we're all probably involved in is helping link people to safe housing, food, water, uh, education, jobs, healthcare, especially a big deal, um, and social support, parenting, <coughs> especially. Um, and we know about all the outcomes, all this stuff, historical trauma, it all affects everything, okay? We run to an early death when we've had all those ACEs. Everybody know what the adverse childhood experiences scale? If you have four or more, you probably chopped a decade or two off your life, okay? And that's not by choice. Okay, so real quick, disparities in healthcare. <clears throat> um, you know, it's interesting, this was a fascinating statistic. Um, in 2016, drug overdose became the leading cause of death in the US. Uh, that shocked me. I thought it was more tobacco related stuff. Um, and LGBTQ people are even higher risk, okay? Uh, especially our youth and young adults and trans and non-binary, uh, non non-gender conforming. So here's what we know, we used to, be afraid to talk with the families of LGBT people, right? Now we know if we don't, if we don't, it increases their risk for suicide by eight times, okay? Because if they have a rejecting family, that's the influence. They're six times more likely to report high levels of depression, three times more likely to use illegal drugs, three times more, like, more likely to be at risk for HIV and STDs, right? So those are some of the things that can happen if you have openly hostile families. Now, let's look at this. If, on the other hand, you have parental acceptance, so LGBT folks have a much more um, hopeful outlook on life, right? They think, man, I think my life will be happy and productive, 92%. Okay, based on the amount of rejection or, or uh, acceptance from their families. So here's another example of the significant impact that working with a family can have. Okay, especially for trans youth. Trans um, youth and adults have the highest uh, attempted and suicide rate of anybody. It's almost 50% pretty regularly. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So one in two. If you know a trans person, it's highly likely that they've been actively suicidal or have some significant suicidal ideation and or may have even attempted, most likely, okay? Because it's just so oppressive and so, you know, the whole country is trying to erase them, right? How to live under that all, every day? As a white girl, I know, I know. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but um, <clears throat> my wife tells me that all the time. So in this study in Toronto, <clears throat> they did a survey of 100 or 150 subjects and they said the transgender young adults without family support, 57% attempted suicide. But the ones with family support, support only 4%. Okay, that's a pretty damn big difference, right? Okay, <coughs> um, 
These are some of the common clinical strategies. How many of you are familiar with these? A couple of you? Okay. So there's actually a great resource online called the Family Acceptance Project out of San Francisco State. Um, if you just Google Family Acceptance Project, you'll be able to find it. Um, they have, uh, they did some research on the effect that accepting and um, rejecting families have on the mental health risks, okay? And that's where we got those statistics about almost, you know, eight or nine times more risk for suicide from rejecting families, okay? So one of the things they started with was they really wanted to start with all families love their kids, okay? We want to start with the basics. How do we want to be treated? But one of the things we know is they don't want their kids to get hurt. And sometimes they think they got to convert them or have them not be LGBT in order to keep them safe, okay? Um, <clears throat> let's keep going. Uh, core therapeutic strategies, uh, like I said, I could go on and on, but I won't because I want to get to some of the other um, things. There's um, behaviors that, let's see, behaviors that help, all right? Talking with youth and adults about their LGBT identity, express affection, these are for, for parents and families. If you do this, your child has a better chance of surviving out in the world because they know that you love them. If you do this, okay, physically hitting or slapping, verbal harassment, making fun of them, um, not letting them come to Thanksgiving, right? Not letting them bring their partners, not letting them bring their boyfriend, girlfriend, um, pressuring families, members, pressuring kids to be more masculine or more feminine, not letting them restricting access to community. So like if they say, oh, no, I'm not gonna let you look online for all, because they just think they're going straight for the porn, right? Well, you know, hetero folks do that all the time, so what's the difference, right? Um, <clears throat> but they're restricting access to community. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're the only one, all right? Um, and so <clears throat> these are all ways to increase the risk to your kids. I'm gonna show you a, a movie at the end real quick um, that I think says a lot. But um, so real quick, for all of you who are, I'm gonna give you some examples of some blind spots that people have had. Um, I have a little more of an interest in working with the transgender community right now because as a, as a lesbian, um, you know, one of the things we realize is that the transgender community, we kind of left them behind, right? Um, you know, they started the revolution Stonewall, et cetera, Silver Lake, um, and yet they're still kind of waiting for us to come back and bring them along, okay? And so they have the, they have the highest murder rate, okay, of any demographic in the country, especially trans women of color, okay? Um, so we got a lot of work to do, right? So I'm gonna talk at the end. Uh, I'm part of a project that I'm um, trying to cheer on and connect, and I wanna give you all an opportunity to potentially be a part of. Have any of you heard of Trans uh, Lifeline? Transgender Lifeline? It's a hotline um, for the transgender community by the transgender community. It's a peer-to-peer -peer support network, okay? Because, and this is what we're gonna talk a little about, if I can <coughs> wrestle myself through this um, content a little quicker. Um, one of the huge differences between working with gays and lesbians and bisexuals and the transgender community, okay? The big one is it's so much more heavy on the medical stuff. Um, and we'll talk about why. But one of the things that happens is um, 
how you respond to crises with the transgender community needs to be way different as well. Okay? Um, let's see. Okay, so here's a real quick example of a blind spot. I'll just go over it. Um, there was a, a youth of a, a transgender parent whose insurance was still covered by a religious, um, religiously affiliated uh, university on the East Coast. So um, the, the, the professor uh, transitioned at the, at the university. Uh, the, the professor came out as trans and transitioned from female to male uh, and as a result, for a variety of other reasons as well, uh, they were let go by the university. Um, this, this trans professor has uh, several kids, okay? a um, teenager and a young elementary school kid. And so, of course, it was traumatic. They were best friends with the vice president and every, you know, at the university. And within a week, they were kicked out, fired. Um, all of a sudden, all their, they lost all their friends, all right, because there was just so much stigma around it. Um, so it was very traumatic. So they tried to get them therapy. <clears throat> so the therapist made some assumptions because this family had come from a Christian university. So they assumed that they must buy in to the same faith, okay? And so the therapist made this kind of statement. I'm a Christian, I have a gay brother. I don't approve of his lifestyle, but I still love him. Okay, because they thought that that's probably their situation, right? What happened was with this teenage girl, I'm sorry, teenage, uh, it was, yeah, teenage girl, the youth felt they couldn't share about two major struggles then after that. And what, two of the struggles that she was having was, oops, I changed the gender, sorry. Um, I said, initially I said it was a, a, a young man. He had a gay crush of his own that he was afraid to talk about. Now, for sure he can't talk about it, right? Because the therapist said, oh, you know, I'm making some assumptions about you coming from a faith university, okay? Um, dealing with the impact homophobia and transphobia were having on their family. They were getting, he totally lost all his income, the dad. Um, he was getting death threats. Um, there was a re religious right-wing group, I don't know if it's called, uh, gender, a gender identity watch is what it's called. And they were actually camping out on his lawn uh, and they were doxing him. Anybody know what doxing is? Okay, hacking in, stealing identity, ordering stuff from Amazon with his credit cards. He was getting stuff delivered that he didn't order. So basically kind of trashed everything, okay? Um, so they had some serious PTSD. They couldn't even go out of their house. They had to have the police there, okay? Um, he lost his home, his family broke up. Um, the other thing that was happening was uh, the kids at the, at the teachers at the school for the young one were saying, oh, I can't believe that this parent could do this to these kids. How could they do this? Like coming, you know, transitioning. Couldn't they wait until the kids were out of school? Okay, because they, so they felt like they were intentionally um, what am I trying to say? Intentionally harming the kid by transitioning, being selfish, basically, right? Now, let me tell you what this kid's experience was, okay? With that uh, transgender, with her trans father, <clears throat> before he transitioned, he was super depressed, an alcoholic, even though he's functional, professor of the year, tenured, um, chair of the theology department, everything well-published, okay, but was sick, on all kinds of depression medication, 
uh, antidepressants didn't work. Um, they started using anti-seizure medications, anti-dementia medications, all, anything they could throw their throw at it because his depression was so, so bad. At some point before his transition, he was in the hospital with multiple organ failure. Okay? And finally, he got a new care team that said, you know, why don't you transition? And he said, okay. And he now, okay, within six months after his transition, he was off all of his meds, no health issues whatsoever, and he was happy. Okay, so this little kid is going, wow, my parent is not sick and, and suicidal and dying anymore. They're available to play with me now. Right? Before they were always, always sick. Okay, so here's an example of where the school is projecting onto the kids what they think, oh, poor baby, that, what a shame, right? No, the kid's going, yay, my parent's alive, right? Um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk a little bit about, now here's a couple of your questions here. Here's the differences between trans and the LGB community. Um, gender versus sexual orientation, what we talked about. Um, whew, medical versus psychological issues. Transgender issues have a lot more to deal with medical care, okay? Imagine you have cancer, and uh, my apologies to anyone who has cancer. I don't, I'm not trying at all to diminish it. I realize the, the severity of it. My brother-in-law died of it a year ago. Um, <clears throat> but what if you have cancer, and your doctor said, yeah, sorry, we're not gonna cover any kind of treatment for it? Okay? And you're thinking, I got this thing, it's going to kill me. I want to die. I want a chance to live, but I can't change it. And nobody's willing to treat it. My insurance company isn't willing to cover it. Okay? Often that's how um, puberty can feel like to transgender folks. Okay? When they start puberty, they get uh, often acutely suicidal because their body is changing in ways that are betraying them. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I you know. Um, any of you watched the Jazz Jennings series? Okay, some of you. If you haven't, I encourage you to. Um, even though she has a super, super supportive family, there are times when she's still depressed because she's worried her body's going to do something and, every, and not, it's not going to take. Okay? And <clears throat> um, the other issue is access to health care. Okay, you, there's so much um, involved in terms of managing hormones, managing um, puberty, puberty suppression, uh, all kinds of stuff that needs medical care. You can't just do that on your own with your kids, all right? And if you don't have somebody who's knowledgeable, okay, there's a whole bunch of health care that you're not going to get. And then what happens is teenagers will do what? They'll go get it on the street. Okay, because that's the other issue. If you can't afford hormones, but you're desperate for them, where are you going to go? Right? <clears throat> and then the quality is an issue. Um, okay, let's talk about the crisis response. Um, well, actually, let me do two more things, and then we'll talk about the crisis response. Transgender in the military. These are amazing statistics. I did not know. Okay, trans women are one and a half times more likely to serve in the military than cis men. Okay, isn't that, I knew there was a lot, but I didn't know it was that much. They did interviews with the U.S. Department of Defense in May of 2016. Okay, so there's a lot of veterans, folks, who are trans. Okay, 
Trans men are three times more likely than cisgender women to serve, cisgender meaning female identified women to serve in the military, okay? So you have a lot more vets. Um, they're also 20% enroll in, um, in the military. That's twice as much as the regular population, okay? Uh, specific suicide risks. We have till 12.15, right? That's on the yes, topic. go for it. Do, we, do you know if the military supports with uh, transition? So here's the scoop. Um, and some of you may have more up-to-date information than I do. It did before the current administration. Um, and they, my understanding was they were willing to support care and transitioning and they were just welcoming the transgender community. But then Mr. 45, decided to make a, a unilateral ban on the transgender in the military for some weird reason that, you know, one of the things he was, that the, the, one of the arguments is, oh, trans people, we can't afford to pay for all that. Well, you know, the trans guy I was just talking about, okay, you know how much health care he was sucking up when he was depressed and suicidal and multiple organ failure? 30 years worth of health care that wasn't working for him. Now he's off of everything. So we're talking saving money it might actually be better, right? Um, so some of it is. Uh, now, one of the things that happens to the military, um, and it's interesting, Trans Lifeline, because I'm working with them uh, a little bit. They said generally they get about 153 calls a day for people who are suicidal that are transgender. And, and the other people who are staffing the line are also trans. Every time Trump or somebody else, they do a bathroom bill or they announce a ban in the military, the number of calls that they get per day goes up to 500 plus, okay? So it increases exponentially, okay? Because they're just, you know, they're, they don't feel welcome anywhere, right? Um, so let's go back to, let's see, uh, barriers to receiving care. Um, there's, a, there's a study that Trans Lifeline did, um, transgender study in 2017. They interviewed over 8,000 uh, folks, transgender people. And these are some of their experiences they found. Um, misgendering is a big one, okay? So um, usually almost 40% people were misgendered by their care providers, meaning their therapists, meaning their doctors. Okay, so they said, you know, my name is so-and-so, my pronouns are he and, you know, uh, he and him, okay? And the doctor said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you know, this is what the name is on your insurance card, okay? Um, and that's very stressful, okay? <clears throat> um, misgendering, let's see. Here's the one that I wanna go to. Okay, out of those 8,000 people, 50% have made attempts to end their life. 70% intentionally do self-harm, right? 83% have considered ending their own life in the last year. Or no, 50% ending their, their life in the last year, okay? Um, that's a lot of people, right? Um, so some of the differences in working with le lesbian, gay, and bisexual versus transgender. Um, the difference between orient sexual orientation, who you're attracted to, and your gender identity, okay? Um, the lesbian, gay, and bisexual, much more focused on who they are attracted to. Trans is much more about their body and the, the rejection and de-coping with the fact that their body and their mind don't match, 
okay? Um, need, there's a lot more need for medical advocacy and support. Do you realize that they're not allowed to transition? Usually, it's changing, thankfully, unless they go to a therapist and get a couple letters, right, stating that they're okay enough for a transition. Okay, if you had cancer, needed cancer treatment, and say, oh, you know, I think you might be faking it, right? Or you're delusional. Let's talk about crisis, uh, I'll go to this. Let's talk about crisis response. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have worked with a transgender person in crisis? A couple of you, a few of you, okay? Um, <clears throat> do you 5150 them, what have you done? So what, what happens when they want to get hospitalized? Which wing are they going to put the person in? According to their biology or according to how they identify in their gender? Yes? I, I used to work in jail and it was horrible because they would put them in the biological So if it's, it's traumatic enough as it is, but then to feel like you're, everybody's looking at you, gawking at you, like, you know what it's like just going into the wrong bathroom, right? You know, and you're like, everybody's looking at you funny, right? So what do you do with a suicidal transgender person who may, who is not safe? They're, they're a danger to themselves and possibly to others. What do you do? So it actually is equally traumatic to send a transgender person to a crisis response team. Okay, I mean, PMRT can come out and assess them, but if they just do the standard of care, which is, you know, let's hospitalize them, 5150, with the, their biologically assigned gender, right? And so for them, they just feel like they're in the wrong place. It's more traumatic. They're not getting their mental health needs met. They don't feel safe anyway. But now they're like, okay, so you have a young boy who might be, uh, not a boy, um, a trans youth, trans female youth, Okay, transitioning from male to female, okay, who goes into the hospital, there's a lot of misogyny. One of the reasons why trans women of color, especially trans women, get killed the most, I think, is because of misogyny, right? The, this, uh, there's sexism involved. Because there's this sense internalized that being like a woman is bad. So if you got a guy who's in a dress, what's wrong with you, right? That's how it might be seen. Um, so there's actually a lot of risk, okay? Um, where was I going to go with that? So one of the things Trans Lifeline does is you can call, and they do their, their due diligence, and I think this is part of our job as providers, to try and help them be connected to community, whether it's family or friends. Sometimes somebody who's suicidal, you're going to have, they're going to feel much safer if they go to a friend's house that's willing to, to commit to keeping an eye on them 24-7, right? Because they know they're safe, they know they're accepted. That couch surfing might be way more safe than sending them to a hospital where they're gonna end up in the wrong, and, and experience some more misgendering or calling them by the wrong name. You know, somebody, you give them, you, you tell them what your name is and somebody says, okay, now tell me your real name, okay? Um, you know, so there's just this sense of, I don't care who you think you are, doesn't matter. Yes. Um, and you know, one of the things um, Trans Lifeline does, they have a really long training protocol for their peer support network, uh, as well as the other volunteers for the Family Lifeline. One of the things that happens is they get a lot of parents 
who call the Trans Lifeline. Trans Lifeline is specifically trans trans people helping other trans people. Okay, but then they get family members who, of the trans kids or adults to call and say, "I don't know what to do." So at some level, they're going, "Well, you know, we have limited resources, and y'all are clogging up the line." At some level, right? And so one of the things they're trying to do is develop a hotline for the significant others, friends, and families of the trans people so that they can call and talk to, to, if some of you, you know, one of the reasons why I'm putting this up here is if you are interested to volunteer a couple hours a week just to be willing to talk with folks, okay, who are scared that something's going to happen to their kid or how do you deal with the rejection, right, from the rest of the family. It's broken up their family because they don't, they, uh, one of the partners can't accept that their kid is, or their youth is transgender. All right. Um, <clears throat> so this is, um, this is a separate thing, but I wanted to put it up there in case anybody was interested or you know somebody who may. Um, let's see, where was I going? So the hormone thing, yes, that's the whole issue around it being very much a medically focused um, case. Right? Transgender means that there is a, you, you need to inform yourself and you need to learn about what is needed because you're helping this, this person okay, keep their emotional and their physical well-being in balance. Hormones can have all kinds of side effects, right? Okay? Um, even though they want them desperately, they, they have to take care of their, their eating habits they have to, because it increases the risk for a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay, but they're feeling more peaceful in their own body. So, well, so that's a very common question, like, oh, what if it is just a phase? Or what if somebody transitions back? Okay, um, there are some people who, what they call detransition. It's very uh, rare, though. Okay, now let me ask you another question. What is, so, so the reality is you can't do hormones. You're not allowed without parental consent to do hormones and or surgery until you're at least 18 anyway. Okay, the other, I totally didn't even talk about intersex yet, but let me see if I can squeeze that in. Um, um, and so, yeah, we know a lot of 18 year olds aren't necessarily um, done with the pruning process neurologically yet, right? But um, one of the things that I'll ask you is, what would be the harm in letting somebody live as the other gender to see how it is? Is there any harm that can come to you? Is there any harm that can come to, I mean, you know, that person is taking a risk, right? Because there might be some harm that's going to come to them in terms of other people not being okay with it. Okay. But really, is there really anything that can go wrong for some, asking, you know, if letting somebody try it out? The other thing I have, real quick, thank you, is um, in that resource list is um, there is a whole bunch of uh, questions in terms of how do you assess gender dysphoria or, uh, you know, in my case, gender identity inflexibility because my gender actually matches my assignment. Um, but I, I, you know, one of the, I, I'm joking there, but uh, there's a, um, a series of questions done by, um, I forgot her name, but first name I think is Stephanie somebody, but um, who does quite a bit of having to write letters. So there's an example of a sample letter, but there's also a sample intake assessment for asking questions about kind of what 
what, what people's experience of their gender has been. So some of that is a good intake history, okay? But also really seeing what are they wanting to do right now and going through the pros and cons, right? Well, so here's the, this is where I think the importance of community is, is critical, okay? Because that's us deciding where to send them, right? Or deciding what might be best um, you know, granted, we want to keep an eye on, you know, if they're actively suicidal and obviously managing some of that. But one of the key determinants is finding a community and, and giving them some hope. There's some stu statistics on suicide that talk about um, how many people actually are suicidal, but then choose not to go through with it because of connection with somebody. So if we can increase the connection with the community, and then they all know how to work the, the resources in, in LA, okay? They know, like for one of the, re the, the good thing about the gatekeeper issue with writing letters is sometimes the medical professionals have decided they're willing to work around it, okay? Um, and you know, they, they, they aren't as um, obsessive and rigid about needing it in order to provide care because they realize, it, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Let me talk to the to patient directly, right? Um, and so, a lot of t one of the big things that you'll find online is access. They will uh, have a whole network of providers that are much more accessible and supportive of transitioning and being willing to be helpful and not so rigidly adherent to all the the bureaucratic barriers that are imposed by the cisgender community in terms of accessing healthcare that they need. Okay, um, so one of the things that Trans Lifeline tries to do is really um, link them, whether it's with the, the, the trans people on the Lifeline, but they also encourage them to expand their social support, find affirming family, find affirming communities. Um, and I, that's, <clears throat> to me, that's one of the things they focus on the most, okay, because you need to be able to feel like you belong somewhere, okay. Um, it obviously, you know, that's not a, a that's an overly simplistic and not a, a, an appropriate answer to manage all the programmatic requirements and procedures and policies. Um, but I think part of it is how can we as FSP folks or case managers or, or even therapists really encourage them and, and look into supporting them to connecting with the community and getting, there's a lot of resources there. They know where all the, the doctors are that are supportive. They have, if you look online, there's tons in every state of lists of, not tons, but there's lists of these are the healthcare providers that were, are, are trans affirming and will help you with these issues, okay? Because it's such a heavy medical thing. So anyway, my uh, apologies for kind of being scattered at the end here because there's so much to cover, um, right? And what can we crowd in in, in an hour? Um, let's see, seen the video called um, Always My Son? If you, if you email me, I, I'm happy to give you a link to it. Um, <coughs> it's a 15 minute uh, video of a family who was having trouble with the fact that they had a gay son and they were very anti-gay and it, it conflicted with their faith. And then the mama said, mama bears, right? Um, said, you know what? I looked online and saw what the outcomes were for him. If we were continue to be rejecting of him, I'm not willing to let my kid 
go suffer all that? She said, oh, heck no. I, I don't want my kid dead on the street somewhere because we're not accepting of him. And so they got on board and started to talk about their own transformation within their family. They had four other kids. It's a very powerful and very moving film. It's a Latino family. Um, so they're talking about kind of what came up for them in terms of their <coughs> machismo and all the other stuff. Um, but it's lovely and uh, it's a very moving and very helpful to show in uh, religious communities. I know uh, after I've showed it a couple other places, a lot of people came up to me and said, can we show this at church? You know, so, yeah. Always my son. It's, um, there's a couple of videos and there's a link to it, I think, and the Family Acceptance Project. They may be at a point where they want to charge you for it because it costs them a lot of money, I know, to produce it. Um, but it's a great video. And there's also a one from a 20-minute uh, video of a Mormon family that they've done. Their, their desire is to have a family with a gay kid, LGB or T, from every ethnic community. So that you can see that it's not just a white thing or it's not just a you know, Latino thing or whatever.